You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, Rifters. This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast, where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules and haunted gameplay experience. I'm Nathan, the Dungeon Master of Riftwake. And I'm Remy, a player on Riftwake and a Dungeon Master myself. And today we're here to talk to you about senses. And what I mean by that is both the typical senses that a human has, as well as the special senses in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, and how all of that gets applied to the game. So, uh, to start with, let's go over the more mundane senses, because honestly, this is a series of facts that is in the Dungeon Master's Guide, but most DMs flat out don't know. So, for my own sense of fun i'm going to quiz you nathan and i want you to see if you happen to know these things all right when traveling outdoors how far can a character see on a clear day very far (laughs) um you're correct technically 220 feet let's try that not quite two miles in any direction or until the point where trees, hills, or other obstructions block their view. Two miles is how far characters are able to see. So, so many times, even when there are random encounters, if it is just like an open grassy area or a desert, you are able to see for two miles. So there really should be a lot less surprise encounters than many dms tend to do they would simply be encounters like oh there is a goblin camp a mile ahead of you would you like to go fight them or do you want to just walk around because you can see that far and even goblins unless they're particularly you know hungry or in just a bad situation or evil are probably not going to bother running that far, because if they start chasing, they're going to be real tired if they're running towards you for a mile, not to mention if you have any kind of, you know, skilled ranged people on your team, you know, longbow firing 600 feet in the open would really wreck their shit, not to mention if you do have any just long-range magic users, that would just be a bad time. 
So again, that two-mile visibility is something that dungeon masters ought to know about, but surprisingly generally don't. So part two of that same question, how far can you see while it's raining? One mile. Bingo! That's exactly correct. Cuts your visibility in half down to one mile. That is correct. So, number three. How about when it's foggy? Um, 500... Wait, no, that's not how stupid Imperiometric was, doesn't it? Fuck. Uh, Closer! So there is a range (laughs) for this one, because fog is a variable thing. So, blank to blank in feet. Okay, uh, let's try this. 300 feet to 500 you're actually pretty close but it's actually a little bit more narrowed than that 100 to 300 feet so fog is massively limiting in your visibility and then the last one in this series on a clear day how far can they see atop a mountain or tall hill if they're able to look down from height how far seven miles 40 four zero that's lots it really is and that also just goes to show how advantageous height is so if you have a character with even just levitate or the fly spell or you know a familiar that can go up to that kind of distance well that is a huge huge range so if you are in the desert and just have a familiar or a druid who has flying that can just go up that high, then 40 miles is how far they are able to see. And again, this is something that DMs and players both generally don't know, which is interesting to me. So moving on to the next section that is related to senses. Noticing other creatures. So uh, just for the record, all of this is in the Dungeon Master's Guide in Chapter 8, Running the Game, under the exploration category. So this is all straight out of the Dungeon Master's Guide, not any obscure, you know, extra book somewhere. Uh, Quick Remy rant tangent, though. There are so many details of senses that are spread out through the books that I am irked by that fact. But I will get to that more as we get there. So noticing other creatures. So if neither side is being stealthy, How far away do they have to be to notice one another? One mile? Incorrect, but good guess, because this is a trick question. Creatures automatically notice each other once they are within sight or hearing range of one another. And this is a sentence that actually has some rather significant implications to the game. So within sight or hearing range of one another. So that would mean, again, using that goblin camp example, that as soon as you can notice, oh shit, a mile ahead, or actually, you know, two miles, like we said, for a clear day. So two miles ahead, there's a goblin camp. Do you want to fight goblins? I'd rather not. They're probably trapped all around the place. Let's just not. And then you can just choose to avoid the encounter and go around. And then it could even be, you know, a plot point for the DM. The fact that the adventures went around means that the goblins were not dealt with and then were problematic to the local area even after the players leave and a dm can absolutely make that a future plot point even though they chose to avoid the encounter now but the fact that again they notice each other within sight or hearing range this also has some rather significant implications for dungeon type scenarios so if you're underground generally speaking a creature will only have 
so much light available. However, one thing that is not explicitly in the rules, because it is assumed to just be common knowledge. So that is a flaw because they assume this and don't spell it out, so I'm going to spell it out here. How far away can you see a light in the darkness? So if you're, you know, across a long stretch and someone else has a torch, how far away can you see that? Mm, 300 feet? Incorrect. As far away as you can see. Two miles. So if you are outside and someone has a campfire, that would be visible from two miles away. If you if it's in the open and you're on top of a mountain, you could see it up to 40 miles away. Uh, fun fact, this actually used to get used historically, is that there would be towers where they would light a fire at the top, which would then signal someone miles and miles away to light the next fire. And then they could even use chemicals to color the fires to pass messages extremely long distances, extremely quickly. Because if you just had those stations 10 miles apart, you know, oh, blue fire, next one, light their blue fire, next one, light their blue fire. Then in minutes, you could communicate a message hundreds of miles with no more technology than just the chemical knowledge needed to make colored fires. And that is something that was historically done for that message relay purpose. But anyway, going back to D&D, though, that does also mean that every time that players make a campfire, that is a beacon if they're out in the open. So unless they do have that, you know, kind of survival proficiency to know how to make, you know, a dimmer fire or how to cover the fire to prevent the light spreading out or to have a spell of some kind used to disguise the light of the fire, of which there are actually a few, then that is another thing that just does not adequately get covered a lot in D&D. And that also means in underground dungeons, there are many times where there is a corridor that is much longer than the light source that the party is using. And I will get more into light momentarily. So let's say that the party has a torch and then there are I'm just going to stick with goblins for convenience sake. So let's just say there are goblins farther away than the party can see. The goblins can see the party's light way before the party would be able to see them. So dungeon masters ought to be using far more traps and ambushes in underground scenarios, because if the party has a light source, it is really, really freaking obvious to everything down there. So with that being said, let's actually move on to light. And this is yet another of those things that is rather spread out. So there are also the knowledge of this is now flipping over to the player's handbook, chapter eight, adventuring, vision and light section. So there is bright light, which is torches, lanterns, fires, sunlight, as well as many other things. Then there is dim light, also called shadows, which is a funny bit of phrasing to me. So dim light creates a lightly obscured area, and I'll go into what that means in a moment. So and dim light is usually a boundary between a source of bright light, such as a torch, and surrounding darkness. The soft light of twilight and dawn also counts as dim light. A particularly brilliant full moon might bathe the land in dim light. 
and then darkness creates a heavily obscured area. Characters face darkness outdoors at night, even most moonlit nights, within the confines of an unlit dungeon or a subterranean vault, or in an area of magical darkness. So there's bright light, dim light, and darkness. Bright light, you can normally, you can see just fine. Dim light is something called lightly obscured, while darkness is heavily obscured. So now let's move on to what those words mean. Lightly obscured, and it even lists some more examples here, dim light, patchy fog, or moderate foliage, creates disadvantage on perception checks that rely on sight. That's it. There's no attack penalties. It is just a disadvantage on sight-based perception checks. Heavily obscured, on the other hand, which is darkness, opaque fog, or dense foliage, blocks vision entirely. A creature effectively suffers from the blinded condition when trying to see something in that area. So that is a huge jump in the actual effects. So a blinded creature, to refresh from our conditions episode, can't see and automatically fails any ability check that requires sight. Attack rolls against the creature have advantage, and the creature's attack rolls have disadvantage. So, while a lightly obscured area, like dim light or light fog or foliage, is just a disadvantage on your perception checks, the fact that heavily obscured just flat out can't see, so you automatically fail any ability checks that require sight, so you'd automatically fail your perception check flat out, and advantage against you, and you have disadvantage attacking something. So that combination is why something like the darkness spell is so very effective. So if you do just completely blind someone in magical darkness and then just launch an area of effect attack at them so you don't have to worry about your own not able not being able to see them or if you have a character like a warlock who has the invocation to see through magical darkness then darkness is actually an incredibly powerful thing to take advantage of, whether that is through the darkness spell or just flat-out normal darkness. Because, as a, another refresher, if you have a spell like Prestidigitation, which every magic user should have, my biases on this spell are well-known. See said episode on Prestidigitation. Anyway. If you have prestidigitation, one of the effects of the spell is to put out or light a torture campfire. So you could put out your enemy's torch, and if they are not able to see in the dark, but you are, whether that is through dark vision or magic or many, many potential avenues to do so, then to suddenly make your enemies unable to see you, again, creates a massive advantage to the party who is able to see. And Dungeon Masters can also flip that the other way. If you have a party of human player characters who do not have any ability to see in the dark naturally, if you have a smart enemy who extinguishes their light source, that's also real, real bad for them. And yet that's honestly something that I almost never see done in any D&D game that I listen to or play in, is to manipulate the light available. So, with that said, let's actually go into what light options exist. So for that, we're actually going to backtrack a little bit more 
to Player's Handbook Chapter 5, Equipment. Because while, yes, there is a lot of magic available to light, such as the light cantrip, there's a lot of magic weapons that light on fire and generate light out. For the sake of this, I'm just going to be going through the more mundane, accessible to everyone types of light. So the smallest one would be a candle, which for one hour is bright light in a five foot radius and then dim light for an additional five feet. So this is an important thing to keep in mind for all player characters that, again, doesn't really get thought about much. The difference between bright light and dim light. So even if something is in dim light, anything that is in dim light is lightly obscured, which would mean even if something is in that light radius, then it would be a disadvantage on the perception check for that sight-based perception check. And all light sources have some amount of bright light and some amount of dim light. But again, disadvantage for something in that dim light to be noticed. So after the candle is a lamp. So I'm just going alphabetically down this list here. So a lamp is 15 feet radius of bright light and then dim light for an additional 30. And it does also mention that using one pint of oil burns for six hours. Then there are lanterns. Bullseye lantern, which is a 60-foot cone of bright light, and then additional 60-foot cone of dim light, which, again, six hours on one pint of oil. Then the hooded lantern, which is 30 feet of bright, and additional 30 feet of dim. Uh, also, the hooded lantern does have the option to lower the hood of it to reduce the light to just a five foot radius of dim light. So that item exists specifically for that purpose I mentioned earlier of light being really goddamn obvious. So by much reducing the light, it makes it far, far easier for the characters to hide the light source or just redirect it somehow to make themselves less noticeable. Uh, also, a tinderbox is not a light source in itself, but it is just worth mentioning because it mentions the action economy a little bit. To use a tinderbox to light a torch or anything with abundant exposed fuel takes one action. Lighting any other fire takes a minute. So that is just a good thing to know. It takes one action to light a torch, but just to, you know, light a less easily catching fire takes a full minute. So not really convenient to do in combat. But again, torch, one action. Great to know. Which leads us to the trusty torch, adventurer's best friend. One hour of bright light in a 20-foot radius with an additional 20 feet of dim light. Uh, it does also mention, interestingly, that if you make a melee attack with a burning torch, it deals one fire damage. This is one of those little details that actually pisses me off because it does not say it deals one additional fire damage. It just deals a fire, one point of fire damage. And that's stupid because you're also hitting someone with a freaking club for all intents and purposes. So I personally would house rule that, that you treat it like an attack with a club plus one fire damage because that logic. And uh, I'm not going to go on my logic rant again. You know me by now. So that is the typical non-magical senses. Light, noticing each other, all that good stuff. So with that being said, let's move on to the special senses that exist in the game. And there are a number of these. 
So let me get to the right tab. This is, an, again, like I keep saying that they have this spread out kind of oddly. What is annoying is that the player's handbook lists some of the senses, but the main list of all of them is in the monster manual, oddly enough. So in the introduction chapter of the monster manual, it has a section on senses that has the list of all four of the special senses, while the player's handbook only lists the vision-based ones, which inefficient, the fact that it is spread out like that. So I'm going to be going through the monster manual version that has all four special senses. So um, I'm actually not going to go in the alphabetical that they have here. The one that I'm going to start with is by far the most common special sense in 5th edition, which is dark vision. A monster with dark vision can see in the dark within a specific radius. The monster can see in dim light within the radius as if it were bright light, and in darkness as if it were dim light. The monster can't discern color in darkness, only shades of gray. Many creatures that live underground have this special sense. So what it does not mention there is the fact that this is the sense that almost every adventuring race in the game has. Humans don't, uh, I think minotaurs don't, but honestly, an overwhelming majority of adventuring races do have dark vision. Elves, half-elves, dwarves, tieflings, the list goes on and on and on. A huge majority of the listed races do have dark vision. Typically, a character will have 60 feet of dark vision, uh, with the exception being drow with 120 feet of superior dark vision. So, 60 feet. And here's where some of the particulars of the phrasing that I went over earlier really does come into effect in terms of how a DM can use this knowledge. So, they see in dim light as if it were bright light, and in darkness as if it were dim light. So, within the radius, and that is particularly important. So, because of the fact that it says in dim light within the radius, and in darkness as if it were dim, the phrasing of that is incredibly particular. And I know I'm repeating myself, but it's important. So, dim light in the radius is bright light, but in darkness as if it were dim. So that second phrase actually doesn't have that and in darkness in the radius. So I honestly don't know what the actual intended rule is here. But as written, dim light in the radius counts as bright light, but in darkness just counts as dim. And that lack of the second part after that comma, not saying within the radius, grammatically speaking, does imply that they can just see in darkness as if it were dim light. And I honestly am not 100% sure if that actually is rule as intended, that they are blinded after that 60 feet, or if a character with dark vision is actually intended to just either see or not see past that 60 feet. But as written, they can see flat out in the darkness just with that disadvantage mentioned earlier because dim light. And that is hugely, hugely impactful of how you as a dungeon master decide to interpret that one sentence. Because 
if characters with dark vision can just flat out see in darkness as if it were dim light ad infinitum, that very much changes a lot about nighttime or just dark encounters because they can just see at range or is it that they can only see in their radius? So, yeah. Anyway, dark vision. Next up is blind sight. This is another one that I think is actually kind of cool and not used as often as they ought to. Like, all the special senses besides dark vision are kind of underutilized, in my opinion. I think that they're fun. So, anyway, blind sight. Monster with blind sight can perceive its surroundings without relying on sight within a specific radius. Creatures without eyes, such as grimlocks and gray oozes, typically have this special sense, as do creatures with echolocation or heightened senses, such as bats and true dragons. If a monster is naturally blind, it has a parenthetical note to this effect, indicating that the radius of its blind sight defines the maximum range of its perception. So that actually says kind of a lot in not terribly many words. So a creature with blind sight just has some other form of really good senses. So the difference of something like a bat and a dragon is interesting, just the fact that they kind of summarize it with this one sense. So bats, as we know, have echolocation. And in D&D, they actually have it in their uh, monster manual uh, character sheet thing that you know, if they're deafened, then they no longer are able to perceive with their echolocation. But the detail of a dragon having blind sight is incredibly interesting to me because it's a detail that most DMs don't actually focus on when using dragons, which is a dragon has such incredibly good senses that they are aware of any creature. Well, sorry, it is able to perceive its surroundings within that radius. So I want to say that depending on the dragon, it's something like 30 or 60 feet around them that they have blind sight, which would mean then that even if an invisible creature is walking that close to a dragon, even though the dragon cannot see them, it is able to perceive them through either smell or hearing or just the sheer fact that it has such heightened senses. So this is a sense straight out of Lord of the Rings and Smaug versus Bilbo. So the fact that even when Bilbo is invisible, that Smaug is able to know exactly where Bilbo is. And D&D dragons have that trait. So next up, Tremor Sense. A monster with Tremor Sense can detect and pinpoint the origin of vibrations within a specific radius, provided that the monster and the source of the vibrations are in contact with the same ground or substance. Tremor Sense can't be used to detect flying or incorporeal creatures. Many burrowing creatures, such as Ankegs and Umber Hulks, have this special sense. So, this is really cool. So, it makes sense that creatures that do burrow are not able to really see with eyes because they're underground. So, with Tremor Sense, they feel the vibrations of creatures within their range. And that's just really neat. Uh, another fun one for our movie list, then. Have you ever heard of a movie called Tremors? No. <laughs> so it 
has a particularly cool monster in that movie that very blatantly does not have eyes and perceives the world through tremor sense. So it's a DM if you ever want to use a creature with tremor sense, I highly suggest that movie to get an understanding of how that type of creature can be used. Oh man, I really like that movie actually. It's quite fun. Anyway, last special sense, true sight. A monster with true sight can, out to a specific range, see in normal and magical darkness, see invisible creatures and objects, automatically detect visual illusions, and succeed on saving throws against them, and perceive the original form of a shape changer or a creature that is transformed by magic. Furthermore, the creature can see into the ethereal plane within the same range. True Sight is by far the most powerful of the senses available in 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons. So typically, I want to say the range of True Sight is usually around 120 feet for most options available. It is a thing that some powerful monsters have. Uh, it is available through the spell of the same name. Uh, also, there is an epic boon available that grants true sight to a character if you are playing in an epic level game or just are incredibly generous as a dm to offer that to a lower level player but anyway so normal and magical darkness invisible and detecting and automatically succeeding against illusions and perception of shape changers and creatures transformed by magic that is a huge huge amount of abilities bestowed upon a person by that single sense. So a shape changer is actually quite interesting. So that could apply to werewolves, that could apply to, you know, vampires that are in a swarm of bats form or misty form if that you you're using one of those. It could apply to a dragon that is shapeshifted into a human if you're playing with the metallic dragons in your campaign. Seeing a shape changer is probably one of the most underappreciated of the things listed on that. Uh, so just a minor tangent, just because it's a thing that I think is neat. The fact that it also lets you see if a creature is transformed by magic. So that would mean then that if you had something like a person who was changed by true polymorph into you know some other form or if it is just a person that was created by true polymorph since that is an ability of the spell then true sight would allow the person with that sense to know that fact and that is in addition to the for all intents and purposes immunity to close by darkness and the perception of invisible creatures true sight is truly powerful a sense and that's that so in summary, there are a lot of rules in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition pertaining to both mundane and special senses. I hope that what I've gone over today has given you some ideas about how to use the senses of both monsters and characters to throw some unexpected things your player's way. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. So, so support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. Tier start as low as a dollar and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind the scenes content, early access to episodes, access to the Patreon Discord where we will chat with the cast, and even a shout out on the show. Find us on social media on Twitter at podcast, on Facebook as Riffwake, and on Reddit on the subreddit r slash podcast. 
And now send us an email, riffsandrules at gmail.com. That's riffsandrules at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. And Nathan, please do not cut yet. Howdy, folks. Remy here. So I actually did double check what the actual ruling is on Dark Vision, and it turns out that that actually is something that was errated in the player's handbook. So the correct version is thus. Dark Vision. Within a specified range, a creature with Dark Vision can see in dim light as if it were bright light, and in darkness as if it were dim light. So only so areas of darkness are only lightly obscured as far as that creature is concerned. So it does then imply that it is only within the 60-foot radius that they get the enhanced dark vision, and that outside of that, it is pitch black and they are unable to see. So there was indeed a rata on the subject that somewhat clarifies it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.